Hello, and welcome to Talking in Shul, a roundtable podcast. I'm your host, Tamar Fox, and I've got Zahava Stadler joining us from Toronto. Hi, Zahava. Hey, Tamar. I just realized I said Toronto instead of Toronto. <laughs> well, then you're no longer allowed to visit the <laughs> But I corrected myself, so now can I come visit? I'll allow it. <laughs> and Mimi Lewis is joining us from Somerville, Mass. Hi, Mimi. Hey, Tamar. Hey, Zahava. How did I do on pronouncing Somerville? I don't pass. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Tough crowd. <laughs> um, <laughs> this month, we're doing kind of an unusual episode, given how hard things have been for everyone since the events of October 7th and an ongoing war in Gaza. We wanted to talk about things that are bringing us some Jewish joy. So today, that's what we're going to talk about, just the things that are helping us to get through the day and bringing us some joy in these hard times. Mimi, you ready to kick things off for us? Yeah. At the risk of starting with the, well, this can't be linked, but I wanted to throw back to an episode we did maybe six, nine months ago, where we talked about bringing your kids. Tamar, you talked about the value of bringing your kids into the main service of shul and not just relying on family service. So since then, uh, I've really tried to carve out a space for my four and almost two-year-old in the main service. We're, we're at a new synagogue and they really are the only kids there. My husband and I are probably the only people under 40 there. As a result, like I think we bring like a little bit of energy and just smiles to the people. But there are two particular pieces of Jewish joy that I want to share that just like tickle me every time I think about it. The first is my daughter, she has this way of walking like she owns every space she enters, which I love. Yes. (laughs) When she enters the sanctuary, I think one time she saw me enter and somebody had just finished saying the blessing before reading Torah and everybody sort of loudly said, Amen. So I entered the room and loudly said, Amen. And now whenever Nava enters the sanctuary, she just says, Amen. And everybody turns around and looks at her. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is so amazing. I hope she does that forever. That is like adorable and also like kind of beautiful and profound. Humane. <laughs> the second is another thing that I just can't bear to correct, but my son thinks that the social hall is called the living room. And like <laughs> he just put these two words together. Like, oh, you said social and hall and living and room like that sure so i'm just i am tickled by those two things and i wanted to share with you both that's incredible (laughs) um now i really want to go to shul with you (laughs) humming (laughs) zahava what about you give me your first item well this is the kind of joy that comes from you know falling down a fun rabbit hole so okay backstory to my finding this item, this which is a website. 
So when I was an undergrad, we had a fairly small community that um, davened in the Orthodox minion. So, and it was skewed towards the male side of the mechitza. There just weren't as many women at the time in in this campus community. And so I was one of relatively few. And also in general, as an Orthodox woman attending services, I think of myself as an active respondent. Like, I don't get to lead things, generally speaking, but I am, like, right at the forefront of people you will hear in shul anyway. And one Shabbat on campus, we had a scholar-in-residence who was there to speak, and he was a university professor who focused on life in Eastern Europe over a early modern period. And after the service was over, he came over to me and he said, I, I see you're the Frizagarin. And I just looked at him and he's like, well, there was a time in Eastern Europe in Shtetl life where there would be a woman who was leading the service on the women's side and she was called the Zagarin or the Frizagarin. I'm sure I'm pronouncing this incorrectly, but this is what I recall. He had noted me as the most vocal person on the other side of the Mechitza and sort of gave me this little kernel of knowledge that I'd never encountered before, that there was such a thing as a female leader uh, in the women's section of synagogues throughout parts of Eastern Europe in Jewish village life. And I this receded into the back of my mind, but then the word for Zagarin came up again in a conversation recently with my sister, and it prompted me to go looking and led me to this thing that I'm endorsing, which is this very cool website called pullingatthreads.com. It is the project of a PhD student in modern Jewish history at JTS, whose name is Annabelle Gottfried Cohen. I don't know her personally. I don't know if either of you is familiar with her. Um, She also uh, studies at the Kohenet Hebrew Priestess Institute, and she has this really cool website called Pulling at Threads, where she catalogs aspects of female religious life in Eastern European Jewish community. And so she has a whole section on Zagarins, for Zagarins also called Zagurkas, which I'm certainly mispronouncing, but she has a section on Feldmestin, uh, which were women that had a responsibility to encircle graves or cemeteries with rope that would then be used for memorial candle wicks. And the practice of encirclement apparently in some communities was regarded as having a spiritual cementing of the deceased's role as like someone who could intercede on your behalf in heaven. Those things would then be used as wicks for memorial candles. She has a section on the role of midwives as religious figures, another section about women who are sort of designated mourners for the community. All of these things I'm like a very Eastern European Jew. Like I am from like Poland, 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 Russia, and Poland. Like I'm <laughs> I'm very Eastern European. If you go back in my um, in my lineage, and very little of this was anything I had heard of. And I think just it's interesting to see what practices are considered sort of important to preserve and what are not, and what kind of communal transmission was disrupted by pogroms and Holocaust in a way that certain forms of more obligatory religious practice were less disrupted in a way, like what was considered the priority to preserve. Anyway, it's a really cool website if you would like to fall down a fantastic Eastern European female rabbit hole of Jewish life, pullingatthreads.com. That sounds amazing. I love that. You guys have such wholesome answers. 
there's going to be a theme to all my endorsements probably on this show, and it's not going to be wholesome. On brand. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) seriously. A few weeks ago, I got an email from a person I have never heard of or met before, and he was like, you wrote a blog post in like 2009 or 2010 about this like piece of erotica called Double Mitzvah. The link to it doesn't work. Do you have it? And I was like, this is an amazing email. (laughs) 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 This is art. I love that my life has gotten me to this point. But unfortunately, I don't have it. I was like, I'm so sorry. I have also wanted to re-peruse this because I remember it being really funny and also hot. And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't have it. And I was like, also, what do you want it for? (laughs) And (laughs) you're just going to come to a random person from the internet and be like, do you remember that erotica that you wrote about (laughs) over a decade ago? Can I have it? (laughs) Um, Like, you're going to have to provide some explanation. And uh, the explanation turned out to be pretty much what you'd expect, which is he wanted it. Well, for use while spending some time with his wife. And I was like, cool, cool. Love that for you. And then I was like, you know, I remember that this thing was a PDF. I wonder if I emailed it to anyone. Because if I did, then I still have it. And lo and behold, I totally did email it to someone. And I do still have it. And so I was able to send it to this guy. It's called... Double Mitzvah. It's by a woman who I have to imagine that this is a pen name, Erica DeQuea. I'm just going to read you guys just a little, just like, just a little snippet of this. The PDF that is, let's see how many pages this is, 20 pages long. So this is really, wow, I'm not sure if I can read very much of this out loud, but here, I'm just going to read this little bit. We were both standing at the front door, our 10-year-old son dancing impatiently on the sidewalk, waiting for his parents to say their goodbyes so he could get to school to see his friends. Ignoring the comments of our impetuous boy, Joel picked up my right hand and slowly licked my fingers one by one, his dark green eyes never leaving mine. I held my breath at the arousing impact of his warm tongue, and Joel flashed me a wicked grin. Stay tuned, he whispered, before dropping my hand and joining our son. It's so good. It's <laughs> extremely filthy. It is extremely from, there's a lot about the mikvah in here. Anyways, the email and the PDF are both bringing me great joy and nothing would make me happier than sharing this with you. So if you would like this piece of Jewish erotica, please email me at tamar.fox at gmail.com and I would love to share it with you. I don't think that this woman um, that with this pen name is still available on the internet. I'm not trying to steal any income from her. So if you are her or you know her, let me know. I want to make sure that the money gets to the right person. In the meantime, I'll ask you to make a little donation to Tzedakah in honor of this extremely hot, extremely Jewish erotica. How long a piece of writing is this? It's 20 pages long. That seems really long for an erotica. I mean, it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not like only sex for 20 pages. There's like a story, but it's a lot of sex. And the sex is very explicit, which, yes, thank you. That's what we need. 
<laughs> yeah. Anyways, that's my first thing. Thank you, random person on the internet for finding me and helping me find my way back to this double mitzvah. Mimi, are you ready for round two? Yes, I'm ready. Okay, the best thing that I've read lately is not explicitly Jewish, but it did bring me a lot of joy. And I just, I can't stop telling every mostly cishet woman I know that you need to read Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld. Oh, so good. Uh. It's so good. Curtis Sittenfeld, I just think she is such a smart, fun writer she clearly like dives into her research. I think she must, it must take her two years, if not more, to write a book. I think it's because she goes down a lot of rabbit holes. The book that I most love of hers is Eligible, which is a rewrite of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice that weirdly takes place in Cincinnati. Romantic comedy is, I think, one of the better books I've read that takes place during COVID times. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, and it's about an SNL writer who has a connection with an SNL guest host. And COVID sort of brings them back together. Fast forward many years. Just so fun, so well written. I also was texting with a friend about why haven't they turned this into a movie? And I think the reason they haven't turned it into a movie is because of ageism, because the characters are like, I don't know, maybe in their early 40s. And I love that. I I just want everybody to read it and enjoy it. And it's also very well read on Audible or Libby, if that's a thing you're into. I had forgotten about that book, meaning I haven't read it. I like heard about it when it came out forgot that it existed and will now go add it to my library queue because I've really enjoyed at least three other books by the same author. So I think she does a great job. And just without being like too saccharine or making you feel like kind of blech afterwards, you feel like you've had a great escape. Her characters are always extremely insecure in a way that feels very, uh, I feel very seen by I would absolutely read her grocery list. It's a just an excellent book. I read it in one day. So good. All right, Zahava, what have you got? Okay, so this endorsement is not Jewish yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Converting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a podcast, and it is actually, it's hosted by a Jewish podcaster, but it does not yet have any Jewish content is is the thing that I'm saying. But okay, so... Avery Truffleman, who people will may be familiar with as a producer on the well-known podcast 99% Invisible, has uh, her own hosted podcast called Articles of Interest, which is basically about clothing. It's about the way clothing intersects with society and culture. There was an entire season on Ivy style slash preppy fashion and how it sort of became normie American clothes, but most of the rest of the show has just been one-offs. There's an episode about Hawaiian shirts and an episode about latex clothing and, and you know, so things that are very disparate, but really interesting. I, I recommend it in and of itself. And also shout out to my friend Ariel, who first was the person who recommended it to me. The reason I'm saying it's not Jewish yet is because one night I was feeling sort of frustrated with my shopping experience and I'd been listening to the podcast and I was kind of fired up and I really appreciated the way that the show deals with the intersection of clothes and 
the way people need clothes in their lives and how it intersects with other aspects of culture. And I fired off an email on the contact form of her website, like, have you ever thought about doing an episode on modesty? And I gave a little rant slash treatise about my experience as a shopper and what frustrates me, what's interesting to me, why is modest clothing frumpy, but also there's so much more full coverage stuff on like couture runways. I talked a little bit about uh, what some of our listeners will know about, which is my uh, red carpet roundups that I do for major award shows of clothes that I could wear uh, based on my personal modesty standards. There's a very detailed text on me. Oh my God. Anyway. It's the best, everybody. (laughs) So uh, let me know if you want in on the WhatsApp group. So anyway, so I sent off this email to a contact form and you never know, like, is this website even attended anymore? Did I just send a message into a black hole? And the host responded to me the next morning saying that she'd been thinking about this as an issue. She'd actually spoken to some other women who had other reasons for dressing modestly and had a couple of interviews in the can, but it hadn't come together yet. Did I want to talk about it? And she happened to be in Toronto for an event a couple of weeks ago. And so she interviewed me for this podcast and we talked for like 90 minutes about modest fashion uh, and my life experience and other things. And I think it's going to turn into an episode. So I generally recommend Articles of Interest. I think it's a great podcast. It's it's good escapism and also thought-provoking, which those things don't always go together. I will let you both and our listening public know if and when this becomes a live episode in the world. That is so cool, Zahaba. I can't wait. I know. I'm so excited to listen to this and mostly to your episode. Wow. That's so cool. I, I want to talk more with you, Zahaba, about from the, like, I just see so many really ugly, I guess it's the cottage core stuff. And I, ugh, I can't. Little not. House on the Prairie. Yes. Little House on the Prairie and yeah. like weird puff sleeves. Yeah. I think though that whenever anything modest crosses over into mainstream style, the way like prairie dresses and nap dresses did as part of the cottage core, then women who dress modestly as a general practice jump on this, fill their closets with something actually fashionable and preserve that trend for like an extra five years because, yes. oh my goodness, I could buy clothes in a regular place. It happens to be that like that is really not my look so I did not jump on this bandwagon but I see it all over my neighborhood yeah which gets more I have a book that I um just finished recently it's called a shot in the dark by a writer named Victoria Lee and it is about a woman who grew up Chabad in Borough Park she was not really feeling Chabad life she had um a kind of like secret girlfriend and they would like go and do drugs and stuff. She eventually kind of got kicked out of that community and ended up in LA and becoming a photographer. And she's come back to New York. She's living in Queens to do a um, summer course in New York with a photographer who specifically does like multimedia photography. On her first night in town, she goes to like a queer club with her new roommates, meets a guy, hooks up with a trans guy. Then she like does the thing where they, she's like, what's your name? And they're like on a dance floor and he answers and she like can't really hear. And she's like, okay, whatever. And then the next day she's like, I don't actually even know this guy's name because I couldn't hear him. Then she goes to starts classes 
the night they spend together is super hot. She starts classes. Surprise. It's her professor. It's like, it doesn't feel to me like a straight ahead romance because there's like a trans element in it. But the trans element is like kind of a non thing. Like, it's not a big deal in the book. She's like totally unbothered by it. I think the reason it didn't feel like a regular romance novel to me is because like they're both people who like had problems with addiction. It has like a real like kind of dark past and not in a like fun, spicy, dark way, but in a like really sad, dark way. They work together as a couple. And what I think is so great about this book is like a thing that I hate. Hate is maybe too strong a word, but I'm kind of bored with is stories about people leaving orthodoxy and then just, like, it being about how, like, orthodoxy is terrible. The reason I don't like that is because it's, like, there are people who stay in orthodoxy because they like it. Like, it's not... And I feel like it. those kind of stories do not really... are not kind of intellectually honest with the the benefits of the, the community and, like, why people might stay in it. Anyways, this book is, like, really deals with, like, somebody who, like misses the their up uh, their kind of like the community that they grew up with doesn't really feel like they totally fit in there wants to reconnect with people that they knew when they were from and wants to like have a religious life in a way that maybe isn't like totally the same as the one they had before but isn't like super duper different from it either I just like loved that that was a thing. There's like a from queer couple in this book and just like a lot of ultimately very supportive people of a queer couple, like a trans couple, a like couple who's like finding their way back to observant life. Like, and none of it felt like saccharine to me. It all felt very genuine and like it was very well done. I just feel like, Nothing in my life up to this point prepared me for the fact that I was going to read like a romance novel about somebody who left Chabad and was like going back to it and her trans man boyfriend. So just nice that this is a thing that exists in the world and also that it's quite good. So A Shot in the Dark by Victoria Lee. Very cool. Yeah. Do you know if the author herself comes from a Chabad background or anything resembling it? I... Don't know. I did very little research about it because I was kind of like, whoever wrote it did know what they were talking about. Like, you could tell. So, yeah, I don't, I do not know her background, but she nailed it as far as I'm concerned. All right, Mimi, hit me again. I have been listening to a certain playlist really quite regularly, maybe, maybe daily. It's from Hadara's Rising Song Institute, and it's called Singing Through Fear. I don't actually know if this is the tagline, but I think it, it's something like music to get us through tough times. And it was released, um, you know, maybe three weeks ago, one week after October 7th. It's so well done. It's a, a great mix. I would suggest the first time you listen to it, listen to it in order. There's a a little bit of a journey and a conversation between American Jewish singer-songwriters and Israeli musicians, and also some non-Jewish, spiritually-inflected music. There are two songs that have really just 
been looping through me. They're very different in their everything. The first one is called Magin David, and it's by an Israeli trance, not trans, but trance, T-R-A-N-C-E, artist named Gon Benari. It's not a super like trance clubby song. It's a musical journey. Um, and you can like feel the layers building. Something about the repetition of the words Magin David. I don't know. I, I feel like it's this mantra of protection and just really beautiful. The second song, again, real shift. This one doesn't come right after my game budget. Is a song by singer-songwriter Ali Halpert. It's called I'm Not Alone. It is sung all in English. There are, are instruments, but the real, to me, power of the music is these two female voices harmonizing And for me, in times when I've been just really feeling isolated, either from like my Jewish community or my like non-Jewish American peers or by the news or by wanting to stick my head in the sand and not listen to the news, I've gotten a lot of comfort from this line of, I'm not alone, I'm not alone, I'm not alone. And it's, it's actually encouraged me to reach out to people however I'm feeling, whether it's like fired up or I can't think about this anymore, reaching out to people and finding out that they're going through the same thoughts or like, yes, yesterday I felt that too. Or now I'm questioning in that same way. It's like the song actually has catalyzed this very real sense that I'm, I'm not alone in my pain and confusion. So I will link to the entire playlist, but want to really highlight those two songs. I'm totally going to listen to that. I need that this week. Yeah. How about you, Zahava? Okay, so I wouldn't say that this is a source of Jewish joy for me right now, so much as it's a source of information and catharsis. But the Shalom Hartman Institute uh, has a podcast that I don't usually listen to called For Heaven's Sake that is currently doing a special edition or... We can't talk about anything else right now, so we might as well double down on this edition called For Heaven's Sake, Israel at War. And basically every few days, there's a conversation between Danielle Hartman and Yossi Klein-Halevi about whatever's going on. As we record this, there have been eight episodes so far of the Israel at War subset of the podcast. Each one is about 20 minutes long. The reason that I value it is that I think right now it's very easy for me to access discourse about this war that is coming from a diaspora perspective or just a very third-party perspective. And it's also easy for me to access through friends and family the like personal immersion in crisis perspective. This is a conversation, this is not in any way their formal bios, but this is essentially what I think is happening. These are two people who are American-born, made Aliyah roughly early 80s. Both of them in the American context would probably be centrist Democrats. They care about a lot of the same things that I care about, but they've also been in Israel for 40 years. They've both served in the IDF, and they are both professional observers of and thinkers about current events in different ways. 
And that combination of things has been really helpful to me. That has felt like a missing perspective. It's not heavy political analysis or military strategic analysis. It's very much about as very immersed, very thoughtful, very knowledgeable people, what is their immediate and largely emotional reaction as they're processing a thing. And I feel like anchoring myself in that in Israel perspective with sort of a, a proxy that I feel like I can reasonably trust the the values, credibility, and thoughtfulness of that has been very helpful to me. So in case anyone else is looking for something in that general vein, the For Heaven's Sake podcast, Israel at War, has been, I think, really useful. Hmm. I'm going to have to add that too. Especially 20-minute episodes, like that's about my bandwidth these days. Yeah. I feel like anytime I see a like podcast that I regularly listen to has done an episode about Israel, I'm like, do I want to listen to this? <laughs> like, I like hearing these people talk about almost anything else, but will I hate them if I listen to them talk about Israel? <laughs> And do I want to find out? Yeah. I'm like, I would like to continue liking this person. I'm going to skip this. Yes, I, totally. I, I feel like I've been doing that a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have a question before I give my next one. Do you guys have another one or is that it for you guys? Because I I want to leave it all on the table here. So if there's another round, I've got another round. And if not, then I'm just going to go heavy on my last one. That's what I've got. I have one more mini endorsement. Just a... Uh, general source of calm thing that I could throw out there. Okay. All right. Well, then I'm going to I'm going to hit you guys with a lot of endorsements right now and some of them are very small and achievable, some of them may not be depending on your situation right now, but I just want to give everyone as much access to as much Jewish joy as possible. Okay. So, uh obviously, and then I'll end with my real serious one. Obviously, the theme has been sex. And so my recommendation is if you have somebody that you can have good sex with, that's a great way of having some Jewish joy right now. Highly recommend it. One of the few things that has been getting me out of my head lately. I have similarly been doing a lot of baking of Jewish things. I have some babka baking right now and... I have already started thinking about the bagel I'm going to eat on Thursday afternoon. So like, I know I often complain about like people for whom Judaism is like lox and bagels, but like that's might be me now. So thank you for having me uh, lox and bagels juice. A very specific to me thing is that I recently discovered that Jeff Goldblum, the actor, looks so much like my Zadie. Um, (laughs) My Zadie of blessed memory is no longer with us, but Jeff Goldblum now looks like kind of eerily like my Zadie. And that makes me feel weird things about both Jeff Goldblum and my Zadie, but it made for an amazing um, afternoon on the cousin chat. Israel Story podcast Episode two, so you got to go way back to 2014, is their Love Syndrome episode, an amazing episode that will make you feel a lot of warm, fuzzy things, and it's a great place to go if you need, like, a podcast hug. And two more, they're not really happy ones, but they're things that I, like, really recommend extremely strongly, and they might be 
good engrossing things to have right now if you need to get your mind off of other things. The first is a novel called The Postcard. It's translated from the French. I believe the writer's name is Anne Berest, B-E-R-E-S-T. And it is about a woman who whose grandmother receives a postcard in the mail with the names of her siblings and her parents who died in the Holocaust. This all takes place in France. It's like a total mystery who sent her this postcard. And after the grandmother has died, the mother of this woman and this woman end up spending a lot of time trying to figure out, like, was it a threat? Who was it? And through the process of finding out about it, they learn a lot about the sister and brother and mother and father of the grandmother and what happened to them and how they died. It's just like the the first half of the book is really basically just about what happened to all of them. And it's very sad. Like it's a pretty straight ahead Holocaust story. But the second half is really about this woman who grew up Jewish, but like completely non, non-observant in France, like trying to wrap her head around what it means to be Jewish in France today and learning the history of what happened to her family and just having a lot of feelings about that. It's incredibly good. It is totally, it's like autofiction. It's basically a thing that actually happened to this writer. And very importantly, you do find out what <laughs> the story is with the postcard. As I was like, going through this book, I was like really worried that it was just going to be like, it's a mystery. And that's, you know, fine, but so unsatisfying. But you do actually find the solution and it's very satisfying and kind of beautiful. So I really loved this book and I didn't think I was going to, but it was great. The second thing that I um, recommend is a movie. It's a documentary. It's called Till Kingdom Come. It's made by an Israeli woman. And I watched it because it's about a woman I went to high school with whose name is Yael Eckstein. Her father was Rabbi Yechiel Eckstein. He started the Israeli Federation for Christians and Jews or something like that. Basically, he was the person who was like, what if we get a lot of Christians to be like really into being Zionists, then they'll give us money. And that worked. He is no longer alive, but Yael, his daughter, is alive, and she runs the IFCJ. And a huge part of what she does seems to be go around to small towns in the United States and, like, literally (laughs) preach at churches. And often, like, I suspect this happens to her once a week, people try and like very openly try and convert her to Christianity. It's a fascinating documentary. I will say, I don't think that she comes off looking great. I knew her in high school. I haven't spoken with her in 20 years. It's just a really, really interesting look at um, how Christianity has kind of influenced Israel today and also has like a really powerful series of interviews with a Palestinian Christian who is really frustrated with the activism from evangelical Christians in the United States in Israel. It's a great documentary. It's a great one to discuss with people that you that you know and trust afterwards. So it's called Till Kingdom Come. Okay, 
That is my list of so many things. But here we are at the end of my list of my real recommendation. This is like a second recommendation. A thing that I've recommended before in the past is a TV show, Couples Therapy on Showtime. Such a good TV show. If you're like, ew, I don't like reality TV or, oh, it sounds so gross to like watch a couple in couples therapy. The woman who is the couples therapist in this show is an Israeli woman named Orna Goralnik. And she's a genius. She's just incredible at what she does. She's also like stunning to look at. She's so good at giving people her like total undivided attention. She's so good at like figuring out what people are actually trying to say underneath all of the things that they are saying. She's an incredible practitioner. And the show in the most recent season has a queer couple, Nadine and Christine, who are both, one of them I think is from Lebanon and one of them is Palestinian. In the first episode, Orna's like, you know I'm Israeli, right? And they're like, yes, we know. And like, we thought it would be good for us to see you or something like that, which I was like, what? (laughs) Why? That's very surprising. And I also, in the first episode, I was like, I don't know if I can handle these people. Like, they are trying to have a polyamorous relationship. They're using all the, like, terminology of this very occurrent. And I was like, this is exhausting. But I came around. Nadine and Christine, they're amazing. And Orna is, I think, like, what I loved about it so much is how beautifully both sides of it handle talking about what is real difficult (laughs) to navigate conversations and doing it with so much respect and care um, and not like running away from the hard parts, but also nobody was trying to score points on anyone else. Everyone was being like totally genuine and compassionate. And it's just like, I don't think I've, ever seen that before or since in any conversation about anything, but particularly about Israel-Palestine and like the trauma that people have coming out of growing up there. It's just beautiful. All seasons of couples therapy have fascinating storylines around religion. I believe I talked about it in the past because season two featured a firm couple, Michael and Michal, and this season also features um, a couple where who like started out very religious Mormons, and now neither of them are. But even if you're like, those topics don't seem interesting to me, just seeing what a good couples therapist can do. I've never been in couples therapy, and I think I didn't have like a really great (laughs) view of what it was or what it could be. But this, it's just like magic. I mean, it's amazing how good it is. So uh, I highly recommend it. Wow. That was a lot of Tamar in the best way. (laughs) I feel like we just got like just a slice of what your brain has been doing for the last three weeks. (laughs) Yes. My brain has been like, if we can't be having sex right now, what can we be doing? (laughs) Here's what I'll say, just as a general point. I don't know what your all strategies have been to get through the day in the past, the past few weeks. But mine has really been to be like, okay, here are all my coping skills. What if I do them all one right after another? (laughs) Like, what if I take a walk to the library and get a coffee drink and a pastry and eat it on the way home and then stress clean and bake something and call my friend and then exercise? Like, go outside. Like, 
just try not to give myself space to do any of the things that aren't my coping strategies. I wouldn't say it's been the most successful thing I've ever done in my life, but I (laughs) think I would be in a lot worse shape if I wasn't employing this strategy. So That's interesting. I have not been relying on my coping strategies, maybe because my most well-rehearsed coping strategies are avoidant and so actually not very helpful. But I've been like, also, my partner has been out of town for a week and I've been solo parenting, but I also have like the whole evening to just think and overthink. I feel like every night I'm like puzzling through what's going on and then I'll call Dan and I'm like, I think we need to make Aliyah. Like, I think that's the answer for us personally. Or the next day I'm like, I think I need to go to a protest like tomorrow um, and just like shuttling back and forth and finding a few really strong and interesting friend allies to just like be on this roller coaster with has been interesting. I haven't done this before. I'm usually like a, let me just put my head in the sand sort of person. Yeah. I'm enjoying it or not enjoying <laughs> it. No, that's not it. I'm buckled up. I'm buckled up. That's what I want. Yeah. What about you, Zahava? Do you have any strategies that you would share? It's okay if you don't. Yeah, I feel like I don't have anything brilliant to share. I generally feel like I alternate between distraction and immersion, and I think I'm compartmentalizing well, and then I realize how tired I am. Mm-hmm. That That's really what I keep discovering, is that I think I'm fine, my day has proceeded mostly as normal, and then at the end of it, I'm like, more tired than I should be. And I realize that there's a big heavy weight behind my eyes. And that's, I just sort of swim to the surface and realize that. I have different conversations, like running conversations going on very different tracks with different groups of people. And then I I feel like the the most concrete coping strategy I have employed is a website blocker um, <laughs> so that I don't look at certain things. Mostly I've, I've blocked social media for chunks of time when I'm just like, I'm compulsively checking this and it's making me feel worse every time. Yeah. But yeah, mostly I'm just sort of relying on immersing myself in something other for solid chunks of time and trying to process in discrete and bounded portions of the day. I will co-sign the off social media thing, though I'm definitely at different moments in the day I'm back on, but can't be there right now. Yeah. I mean, Zahava got off Facebook a long time ago and Instagram, right? I was never on Instagram. I have in the past used Twitter a lot for work. And then Twitter is in a weird place in its lifespan anyway. Yeah. But I had gotten on Blue Sky, which is one of the Twitter alternatives for work because it seemed like a good chunk of the network that I was talking to on Twitter was migrating there. And then when I have something come out at work, like a piece of something that I've published, which I have recently, I have to promote it. So then I need to be on my social media channels. And also LinkedIn has become, my LinkedIn network has become surprisingly consumed with talking about the war in a way that I didn't totally expect. But it's also true that now that I'm no longer on Facebook and I use Twitter mostly professionally, like to speak in my role as the profession that I am, 
LinkedIn, I'm connected to a lot of people that I know from the Jewish community. And so there have been very different tones in different circles that I have. And that's been interesting to navigate. And, you know, generally social media is the thing that will directly confront me with how misaligned I feel with someone with whom I usually feel much more aligned because they're not talking to me, they're talking and I heard it. Yeah. And so people say different things to me than they just say. And so I think that's why, like, people can disagree with me in the world on social media and I can handle that. Like, if I couldn't, then I'd just be living in a fetal ball somewhere. But the encounter with people that I know in other contexts, speaking glibly from a place of limited information, I think... Or glibly and or very confidently from a place of limited information. That's what has been challenging for me on social media. And then I have to ponder, do I want to reach out to this person? Is that a good use of my relationship capital with them? Usually it's not, but it can still sort of send me into an hour-long tailspin where I reprocess what I think about my connection to someone. And so that is why I've been limiting my social media time. I have also been limiting my social media time and I was like, LinkedIn will be safe. LinkedIn is not safe. I encountered a video of a hostage on LinkedIn that really put me in a really bad place for <sighs> several days. So um, I think avoidance strategies are great ones <laughs> for, for this time, actually. All right, well, what a journey we've been on. Wait, let me throw out my little source of calm for people. Oh, yes. This is just, do you guys use Window Swap? I don't know what that is. Window-swap.com. You go there and you click a button that says open a new window somewhere in the world and you get a view out someone's window. These are not live feeds. They've, you know, somebody recorded 20 minutes of their window or an hour of their window or whatever and uploaded it and... I sometimes do this when I'm doing quiet work because it just gives me an alternative place to be. But it also reminds you how wide the world is and that most of it at any given second is calm. That just, you know, you can have a window up that looks at somebody's flowery backyard in North Carolina and then you click the button again and you are looking out a subway window in Taipei and then you click the button again and so you're in you know looking out somebody's fifth floor apartment window in Brussels and all of those things it's just good to remember that the world is a vast and varied place and that most people don't live in a constant state of hotspotness and that there's there's always literally another view and so I do recommend that when you feel like you need a little oasis. Mm. I'm doing it right now and I'm loving it. <laughs> this is great. I kind of just want to stay at this window in Auckland, New Zealand, but I guess we should finish the podcast and then I can go back there. Well, thank you all so much for listening. And thanks to Jordan Daniel Mills for editing our show. If you have a minute, it would be great if you could leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts, or you could also let us know what you want us to talk about on a future episode. You can leave a comment on a post on our Facebook page, search for Jewish Public Media, or on our website, jpmedia.co, 
choose Talking and Shul from the list of podcasts. You can also donate to Jewish Public Media at jpmedia.co, which is a really great way to make sure that we can continue to bring you this podcast every so often. (laughs) I wish it was more frequent, but life is complicated. All right, Zahava, thank you so much. Thank you. This was great. Mimi, thank you. Thank you. And all of our listeners out there, I hope that you're getting your Jewish joy in whatever way makes you happiest these days. See you soon.